The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We've been looking at and investigating really what does it mean to abide in Christ. Uh, and uh, it's a hugely important uh, and really you could, you could argue is really the sum of what the Christian life is. That if you want to live uh, the Christian life as God intended, you will be abiding in Christ. If you're not abiding in Christ, you are deeply missing uh, what God has saved you for. And uh, let me just... Um, summarize a little bit by giving some key concepts that we've talked about over the last two weeks that will uh, be important as backdrop for what we will look at today. Uh, first of all, abiding is surrender, right? Uh, surrender is, uh, we, we said the first week, su- surrender means giving up all to Jesus and receiving all from him. So I no longer are living for my own purpose or agenda, but I'm giving those things up to God and I'm taking on his his purpose, which is to bear fruit. And I don't bear fruit for my sake. I bear it for his and his glory. Uh, so I, I do that by receiving from him all that I need to live and do his work. Uh, and that's what it means for the branch to be in the vine. He supplies everything we need. So abiding is surrender. Uh, second thing, uh, we talked about abiding is learning. Um, we talked about the example of, uh, and the picture of being yoked with Jesus where Jesus says, take my yoke uh, and learn from me. This yoke which is easy and his burden which is light. Um, and in that passage we see that, that we have the opportunity to, to connect our lives in a very real, tangible way with Jesus and to do his work alongside with him where we are yoked with him. Uh, and in this arrangement, Jesus is the powerful one. So he carries most of the weight of that yoke. Uh, but he does it as, in partnership, connected, walking side by side with us. And he says that in that process, he will teach us. Uh, we, we should learn from him. And that word learn is the word we get the word disciple from. And it means that Jesus comes and he wants to teach us how to live this life. This life that will be fruitful and productive for God's kingdom and glory. Uh, we also talked that abiding is humble dependence that I no longer take care of myself, I no longer take responsibility for my own life and welfare, that my focus is simply to be in Christ uh, as he's the vine and I am the branch, and he has promised that he will supply everything we need. But we've got to depend on him instead of taking things into our own hands. We love to worry about things, we love to take charge of things, and abiding means letting go and really trusting that God loves us enough And he will keep his promise that he's going to take care of all that we need for life. Not just in the spiritual realm, but really in every area of life. He will be the one who's responsible to care for us and to provide for us. Um, That requires the next thing, which is abiding is is believing or trusting. In order to really have the confidence that God's going to take care of us, it takes a lot of faith. Uh, And if we're going to let go of the worry if we're going to let go and really, really let God provide and, and take care of us, it takes a huge amount of faith. And we have to have confidence and faith that God will keep his promises and that what he said he's done is true. 
that all that's necessary for us to abide has been already accomplished in Christ, right? And we talked about the image of, G- of God the Father grafting us into the vine. It's a work that the Father did by His will and by His power. So we don't have to go around trying to, trying to somehow insert ourselves into Christ to make abiding happen. It's a work that God has already done. And it's a reality that's true of us if we're a follower of Christ. I don't need to do something to, to make it so that I can abide. But I do have to believe that God has done it, and it creates for us a new kind of reality, a new world in which uh, God is our source and our strength and, and the mission of our life. And lastly, uh, abiding is, when you put all those things together, abiding is mostly about my daily life, not just my quiet time. Right? So if we're abiding with Christ, it means that everywhere we go, everything we do, we are yoked with Christ and he's teaching us how to carry out these activities of everyday life in very real ways and very, really very practical down-to-earth ways where we're living his life and he is living his life through us. So it's not just that we, we have these extraordinary prayer times and we have this deep fellowship with God in our quiet time, uh, that that's abiding, but somehow it gets disconnected from our everyday life. Right? Actually, as Jesus taught and, and as it's explained in Scripture, abiding is far more about the stuff you do outside of your prayer closet, outside of your quiet time. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's easy to tithe because in tithe we give God a little fraction of what he, we think he, he deserves, right? It's much harder to spend the other 90% in ways that are Christ-honoring, right? Much easier to just give, get his, his little piece. Well, that's kind of how it is here. It's easy to give God his little piece in quiet time. It's much harder to live out an abiding life moment by moment. But that's what it is, right? That's really what it is. And where, we will, where our lives will bear fruit for his kingdom is as we live it out, day by day in our, our, our everyday relationships and activities. Uh, so, uh, and I mentioned this several times, that abiding is not, is not your quiet time. Abiding is not just what you do in prayer. It's not just what you do in um, solitude or in Bible study. And you may be thinking, oh, great. You mean I've been reading my Bible all these years and having, you know, quiet time for nothing. Right? I've been wasting my time when I could have been watching... Soccer at three in the morning or something. Well, that's not true, okay? And I want to come back on this last time together and talk about the role of spiritual disciplines, the role of prayer and Bible study and those things in our life. Uh, It's not abiding in and of itself, but it is vital and extremely important if we are to abide well, if we're to do this well. These disciplines are extremely important. The problem is that we have often misunderstand their role or function. And uh, especially in recent times, a lot of stuff's been written that would lead us to believe that abiding is all about just commune, communing with Jesus, me and God, in our quiet time. And, and we've got to move it past that and see that uh, the disciplines have a role, but their role is not as we perhaps have thought and seen in the past. So we want to look today at what is the purpose of these spiritual disciplines and how do they help us abide? And if we're going to abide in Christ, what, how should we be engaging in, in these disciplines like prayer and Bible study and solitude and fasting in ways that will help us uh, move forward in this abiding life? So that's what we want to do today. Uh, and we'll start by looking at John 15. Uh, abiding in action. Uh, 
Jesus makes it really clear. In, in, in the first uh, eight verses of John 15, it would be easy to walk away with this idea that abiding is just fellowship with God. That the, the branch and the vine simply means that I, I just commune a lot with God, I pray a lot with God, I develop a, uh, a relationship with Him, and if I do that, I'll just produce fruit. It would be very easy to get that idea if we stopped at verse 8. But Jesus expands, and in verses 9 through 14, he gives us a whole different picture of what abiding looks like. And he says this, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And he starts there with this idea of his love for us. Um, and, uh, and, and this is what I call loving God with our soul. Right? And this is, this is a great thing. And um, uh, this, in many ways, is an easier part of it, although for some of you it may be new and may not be that easy. But God wants us to experience his love and his presence in the depth of our being. Right? And part of coming to grips with that is really realizing the truth of how much God loves us. Uh, how confident and aware are you of God's incredible love? Right? Well, the, the reality is if we really understood it, if we really knew how much God loved us, um, I don't know that we could function, really, because uh, his love is so overwhelming. And Jesus says, God hasn't just loved you, kind of. He says, uh, this is how it's worked. I love you the same way the Father has loved me. So when we talk about Jesus' love for us, we're talking about God's eternal love for Jesus. And, and honestly, I can't, I can't put that into words. I can't grasp that. All I know is it's a love that's far beyond anything I've experienced in a human realm. Because even as a parent, my love for my children is limited. My love for my grandchildren, not as limited, but still limited, right? It's still limited. I can't love them like God loves us. But says, Jesus says, as, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And how has Jesus done that? Well, Jesus has done that by giving his life for us. By leaving heaven, by leaving every right and privilege that was due him, by laying down his authority to rule and to get what he wants, and to surrender his life, to lay it down, to give up all his rights and freedoms for our benefit. Right? It's an extraordinary kind of love. And we do need to come to a place in our life where we get that. Um, where we uh, meditate and reflect upon uh, what God has done for us to prove and demonstrate and display. And in, in the end, to act out his love for us. Right? Uh, we, we can never get to the bottom of that. Right? We can never explore that to the extent that we can say, I can now write the book on God's love and I could tell everything about it. Because it is infinite and endless. Right? And there is something wonderful when we learn in, in the depth of our soul to swim in that ocean of God's love and to experience it. Uh, and so, so we need to do that. And, and as we learn how to do that, that is easy, Right? To just come into God's presence and to be filled with the warmth of his being and the generosity of his grace um, and, and to stop and realize that really he loves us. Right? Do, you, do you have a sense of that? Has everybody, everybody here experienced that? I hope so. If not, that's the first starting point. Right? You, you need to come to the place where in your soul, in your heart, you know how much God loves you. And every day we need to develop that. Again, we get, if we stop there, 
and we describe the abiding life in those terms. Okay, this would be easy. And all I would do is send you out to go be monks, and you just need to go out into some cave somewhere and just read down, sit down with your Bible and, and read passages like John 3.16 and meditate them until they crush you under the weight of God's love. Right? Uh, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Right? Good as that is, he describes abiding in very, uh, another layer of terms that is much more difficult. Notice what he says. Um, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right. Not, if you go off into, you know, the beauty of creation and spend the rest of your life at the beach, and my, wave, my love will roll in you like waves roll in on the beach, right? Not what he says. He says, if you obey my commands, if you do what I tell you, you will abide in my love, right? This is different. Okay, this is different. Um, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Again, Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Right? Uh, and that's how Jesus, Jesus in John 14, that is how I prove my love for the Father. Because I do what He's asked me to. These things I have spoken to you that, you're, that, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Okay. I'm not talking here about just being nice to each other. Okay. It's not just, I want you to go out there and be polite, right? Smile at each other. Um, don't, be, don't say rude things. No, he says, I want you to love each other exactly the same way I have loved you. Well, how has Jesus done that? Um, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Uh, short and simple, he's saying, look, if you love me, you will do what I say. And what I say is to lay down your life for people. Right? That is abiding. This is harder. <laughs> okay? Let's go back to the first one. Let's all go back to the beach and the whole ocean loving thing. You know, I like that better. Right? This is hard. This is hard. Because this means taking specific and real action with my body, with my life, to show God's goodness and kindness to people around me. People who I may actually not even like. <laughs> uh, some people I love, but they may drive me crazy. But I'm supposed to do good things for them. I'm supposed to show God's kindness to them in ways that are sacrificial. Not ways that are convenient for me. Right? Not like, well, you know, I just happen to have leftovers, and I'm going to give you some of my leftovers. No, I am to lay down my life. I am to make sacrifices uh, of my own, uh, my own desires, my own wants, my own needs even, in order to show love to other people. Uh, this is what it means to abide. He says, if you do these things, that is abiding. And that is abiding. Um, and of course Jesus modeled this as, as we said he modeled this he is the one who ultimately laid down his life for his friends um, and, and, and so the thing to see here is that in this context as Jesus describes it here abiding is not something that can happen only in the soul right? abiding is not a purely spiritual exercise 
And one of the things I've, I've struggled with in the past and I've been, I've been confused about is I've, saw, I've seen abiding as a purely soul exercise that's lived out spiritually. But what Jesus describes here goes far beyond that. It's a very in-the-body, physical, tangible exercise of doing things, of action. Right? So abiding is action. If I'm truly abiding in Christ, I am living his life, right? his life living out through me as I show and demonstrate his love to others. Um, uh, and, and it does seem at many levels harder, and it really is harder, right? Uh, so what happened to the whole easy yoke thing? I want the easy yoke back, right? What happened to that? Well, uh, it is easy uh, in the sense that Jesus is there to help us with it, right? What's hard about it is that in this realm, as we try to do this, we have some significant obstacles. Okay, not that they're impossible, and it's not that we don't have the capacity to do this in Christ. We do. We can do this. The problem is that we have opposition. Right? So, so this is the difference between target sports and team sports. Right? You know what a target sport is? Target sport is like bow and arrow, right? where I, I just... And perfecting my skill to shoot at a target, and there's no there's no obstacles in the way. You know, there's no guy lunging down the course toward me, toward me trying to tackle me before I get my arrow off. Right? I'd shoot him, I guess. But that's a different sport, right? Uh, versus team sports like soccer, where you're trying to get the ball in the target, but there's a whole bunch of guys trying to prevent you from that. Right? That makes it harder. So in uh, in, in in life, we have some opposition. And that's what makes it hard. And the primary opposition in this whole deal is actually uh, our body, right? Uh, Satan certainly is out there. Uh, the world is one of the enemies. But all that aside, we've got to deal with ourself in this, right? And it is our bodies that are our first obstacle because our bodies are not actually cooperating in this process. Anybody notice that, <laughs> right? Anybody wake up this morning and realize that your body's not always cooperating in this spiritual journey? And it's not its, natu- its natural bent. It's not what your body just lives to do. Um, at least mine doesn't, right? My body it lives for selfishness. It lives to uh, do things contrary to what Jesus has instructed. But put simply, my body is not is not constantly looking for opportunities to love others. It is looking ways to love itself. Right? And scripture is full of all kinds of examples of this. Uh, Matthew 26, 41, um, Jesus tells the disciples, keep watch and pray. This is in the garden right before the cross. He tells the disciples, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Um, for the spirit is willing, but, but the body is what? Weak, right? He says, I know in your hearts you want to do this. Your enemy is your body. That's what's going to cause you problems. Uh, Romans 7 says this, For I do, not, I do not understand my own actions. For I, don't, I, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but what? Sin that dwells within me. Well, where does sin dwell? Well, I know that no, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, in my body. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, 
but sin that dwells in my body. Right? Uh, we know this, right? I don't have to go on. I, there's a lot more scripture. I won't, I won't read them all. Because um, we know this, right? We know this. Um, and in fact, some people have been convinced or told that basically you'll never, you'll never win, right? That your body's going to be the enemy and the only way you're going to win is someday your body will die and you'll be delivered from it and then you'll actually be able to be successful, right? But, but Jesus taught here something very different. He said, no, I, uh, I have saved you. I have, I've chosen and appointed you to go out and bear fruit. And the way you will bear fruit is through your body, through obeying my commands bodily. And Jesus pictures it, uh, it possible for us to somehow manage or bring under control our body so that it does what it's supposed to. Um, so that we walk in obedience. Right? But it's not easy. It is hard. Uh, and uh, because it is subject to temptation, because it is subject to laziness and selfishness, um, it's going to be hard. Uh, and that's going to be our struggle. Uh, so what do we do about that? Right? Well, this is where the spiritual disciplines come in. Right? We need to exercise self-control. We need to train our bodies to cooperate. Uh, and Again, a lot of scriptures that spell this out. Let me read them real quickly. Philippians 4.9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Paul's writing to, to the Philippians. What you've seen in me, practice these things. Practice them. Uh, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul writes to Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Okay, train yourself. He's talking about his body. Train your body. For all bodily training, that is, physical exercise is of, is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. All right, so he says, train your body. Hebrews 5.14, uh, the writer of Hebrews is, is writing to a very immature people who have not done this well. Right? They have not been training their bodies. And he says, solid food is for the mature, but you're not. You need milk. Right? Solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Right? Uh, that's the spiritual life. The spiritual life is one of training our bodies to do the right thing training ourselves to develop habits so that we respond spontaneously and instantly in the right way, in, in God's way, uh, throughout the day, with whatever comes up, right? We, we've trained ourselves. We have practiced. We have we've developed good habits so that at some point we don't even have to think about it, right? Because we've worked at it. We have practiced it. Uh, and, and in that sense when we when we do that when we uh, apply the spiritual disciplines to train our bodies what to do it should become in a sense automatic okay? now i'm not saying that sin doesn't continue to be a temptation but as we practice certain skills and strategies to resist temptation and to deal with uh, our our flesh right uh, we should we should develop habits that make our response uh, automatic and instant now, some of you think, oh, this, I don't believe this. Okay, this, this is not true. Well, let's think about it in terms of sports, right? Uh, anybody here 
in a place where tomorrow you could just go out and run a marathon. Anybody? Anybody? You guys need to get, you guys need to, get to work, right? Me neither. Um, now, if I gave you a year to train, do you think you could run a marathon? Right? Probably. Okay, five years? Ten. <laughs> I'm not saying you want to run the marathon. I'm just saying... Right? Right? Um, Given time and the capacity to train for something, you could do it. Uh, since it's soccer season, maybe, uh, maybe soccer is a better illustration, right? Um, I have no skill for soccer, right? Uh, and if you watch me play soccer, you would go, that's not soccer, <laughs> right? I'm not sure what that is, but it's not soccer. Uh, but uh, we know that, uh, you know, I may never be World Cup, but, uh, but certain skills can be taught, and if I apply myself diligently to practicing those things hour and hour and hour, hour, day after day after day, I can develop a skill that I can at least appear to be a soccer player, right? And people say, oh, that guy's got some skill. He's got some... And, I, and, and ultimately what needs to happen is I practice those skills and techniques to the point that in a real-life situation in the game, I don't have to think about it, right? I just do naturally and instinctively what needs to be done. A great illustration of this is in, is in American baseball, and every once in a while, the pitcher pitches the ball at the batter, and the batter connects with the ball, and not on purpose, but dry, well, sometimes on purpose, drives it right straight back at the pitcher, right? So the pitcher's throwing the ball at 90 miles an hour, and the guy hits it with the bat, and it's coming back at 250 miles an hour. And the pitcher has about a half a second to figure out what to do. Now, if the pitcher's got to think about it, right, so, you know, okay, he just hit the ball really hard, really fast. It's coming right between my eyes. I should do something, right? By that conversation, he's, at, he's knocked out in the hospital, right? He's got to be able to act instantly and, and, and as a reflex, right? And that's how sports work. That's what training does in athletics. Same thing true with playing an instrument or learning to, be, uh, to, to paint or to sculpt, right? You develop skills so that when the time comes, you don't think about it, right? You don't think about it. It just flows naturally, and I'm convinced that that's true in the spiritual life as well. Uh, but it doesn't come automatically, instantly. Right? It takes discipline. It takes lots and lots of practice to create in our life habits that are instinctive. Right? And that's what spiritual disciplines are about. We are trying to develop a life where we have practiced, right? We have trained, we have prepared so that when situations come up, we act in a godly way through the life of Christ to those things. Right? Um, so here's the difference. We talked in a, uh, the first week that abiding is not trying harder. Right? For a lot of people, they realize their life is full of sin and difficulties and struggles. And we get this idea, if I just go out and try harder, I can be successful. Well, th- this is not trying harder. This is not saying, I'm going to beat this on my own. What this is saying is that with God's help and with the guiding of the Spirit, I'm going to learn how to train to respond in God's power and in God's strength to the situations that uh, I get embattled in. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians, that we need to train strategically. So in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, he says this. He says, don't you know that everybody in the race runs, but only one gets the prize? So run to win, right? Run in a way that's going to be successful. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a a perishable wreath, 
but we an imperishable. So in other words, if they're willing to uh, exercise self-control, if they're willing to go without, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or Cold Stone ice cream or chocolate, right, in order to get their body in shape for, uh, in those days, you know, a, a leaf wreath. Right, it's impressive and it's admirable. If they do it for that, why would we not exercise the same kind of self-control for an eternal, imperishable reward? Right? If they're motivated for that, for such a honestly chintzy, cheap reward, why would we not want to do this for something so much greater? Well, how do we do that? Well, he says, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. In other words, Paul is saying here, I don't train in ways that are not strategic. Right? I don't waste my time running or boxing or preparing in ways that have no effect on the outcome in, in daily life. Instead, I discipline my body and I keep it under control so that after preaching to others, I, sh- I won't be disqualified. Right? What does it mean to train strategically? Well, if you're, if you're an athlete and you've trained for any sport, you know that uh, there's strategic ways to do this. You know, Paul says, I don't box the air. You don't just go out there and shadow box. I love watching people exercise in Thailand. And, um, you know, uh, you can just see some of the things they do really are have absolutely no value other than making you feel like you did something. And you see the people out there kind of doing this kind of, kind of thing, you know. Now, granted, I'm getting to the point in my life where doing this, you know, is actually maybe beneficial, right? Um, but, but maybe not that beneficial. Uh, if, you're gonna, if you want to train to knock something out, you've got you to gotta punch hard. Remember the movie Rocky? For those of you who are old enough to have watched Rocky 150 years ago, right? Remember he goes, he trains, he's going to... Go to, he goes to the, the, the meatpacking plant, right? And he trains by punching dead cows, right? And you know, climax of the movie, he starts punching them where the ribs start breaking. You're going, oh, yeah, right? He trains to, with impact, right? He's learning how to hit hard. Right? That's what Paul's talking about here. Train strategically. Train in a way that's going to help you be successful in living out God's life. Um, well, how do you do that? Well, you have to you have to learn to discipline yourself, right? Um, you have to learn to exercise self-control. In other words, what we're training is our bodies to be under our control. Uh, some translations say, Paul says, "I beat my body and make it my slave, lest after preaching to others I should be disqualified." Great imagery, right? I'm going to bring my body under control, and I am going to make it do what I say. Uh, when I was coaching track, you know, part of this means picking the right exercise, the right discipline to teach that control. And in track and field, if you're training a sprinter to run the 100-meter dash, you don't send them out to run five miles. All right? uh, you will wreck them as a sprinter. You will wreck them. Right? Instead, what you have to do is you have to discipline a sprinter uh, how to come out of the blocks well, and how to not run too fast too soon. Sounds kind of crazy, but if you want to uh, lose in the 100 meter, you want to get as fast as you can right out of the blocks. Because what happens is you hit your peak, and from then what happens? You slow down. 
I remember I had a kid when I was coaching track I could not teach this to. Every, every track meet, he would hit his full stride and full speed at 40 meters. And he would be in the, he'd be in the lead, and it looked awesome, right? And then at 50 meters, everybody caught up with him. And from 50 meters to 100 meters, it looked like he was crawling as everybody just blew by him. Right? I could not convince him. You've got to discipline yourself to build up your speed gradually so that you hit your full speed at 50 or 60 meters, right? He could never do it. So I had to switch him from the 100 meter to the triple jump because in the triple jump, you only run 30 meters, right? And he actually was a state champion in the, in, in the triple jump. So it was good. But he, he could never get the discipline, right? So we need to do things to discipline ourselves to uh, exercise self-control. Uh, and that's really what the spiritual disciplines are about. Right? Now, I've I got some lists of disciplines we're going to go through briefly. I'm not going to go over them all. Um, and really, it's something that I would encourage you on your own to study. Right? Uh, uh, there's some great books out there. Richard Foster's Celebration of Disciplines. Uh, Dallas Willard's book, uh, hmm, Something Discipline. Uh, the Spirit of the Disciplines. Celebration is one of the spirit of the great books. I encourage you to study. Right? Let me just talk a little bit about what the disciplines are for. Right? There's a lot of spiritual disciplines besides just reading your Bible. The point of them is to practice and train your body to live out the abiding life. Right? Um, and there's basically two kinds of disciplines, real briefly. There are those disciplines where we learn to say no. Because uh, in our, our battle with sin, a lot of what overcoming sin is about is learning to say no to sins, learning to say no to temptations. So there's a whole set of disciplines that we practice to learn to say no. They're often called disciplines of abstinence or, or uh, uh, disciplines of denying yourself, right? And they are things like solitude and silence, fasting, frugality, frugality being cheap, spending less. There we go. Uh, chastity, moral purity, Sabbath rest, sacrifice, secrecy, right? Um, these are all disciplines of denying yourself something and teaching your body how to say no. Right? Uh, so let me just give a couple as examples. So- solitude and silence. Uh, solitude and silence means shutting out the world, shutting out all the voices and demands and, and expectations and learning to just really be still before God. Learning to be quiet before God. Now this happens at two levels. One, you've got you to develop solitude and silence by finding space where you're not constantly being bombarded by your, your cell phone and your computer and your uh, relationships and your job and all the demands of life. And sometimes that's the easy part. You can find a place to go away, uh, some cave somewhere. Right? You can shut all that out. But part of solitude and silence is also learning how to develop inward silence, which means learning how to shut off your brain. Right? This is much harder. For me, it's been much harder. Um, I can go off out of the wilderness. I cannot shut my brain off, right? Because it's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a skill that you learn. And a lot of people can use a lot, a lot of different techniques. For me, something that, that worked and was very helpful it was the, the discipline of learning to meditate on Scripture, to take one verse of scripture and to slowly and carefully repeat that scripture in my head over and over again. To learn to focus and discipline my mind, not to be going 10,000 different directions. You may have that experience where your brain is like a ping pong ball, 
you know, like the bingo machine, just right? Right? You got to learn to control that. It's a discipline, right? Where I learn to stop those thoughts and be still, right? And say no to all the things outwardly and inwardly that are screaming for my attention. I think, right? A fasting, of course, is uh, not eating at some level, or can also include uh, giving up other things that are are appetites. Right? And it can be done in many different ways. But the point of it is that I'm teaching my body to to not get what it wants right away. Right? Um, we, we skipped this. We didn't talk about it because we don't have time. But Jesus said, uh, if you do these things, you'll have joy, and your joy will be full. You will overflow with it. Right? One of the lies of Satan is that the only way you can be happy and joyful is if you get what you crave now. Right? And Jesus said, no, you actually get by learning to deny your cravings and instead learn to love and give to others. Right? So we need to learn how to teach our body to not always get what it wants. Right? Do you have areas in your, in your life where your body always gets what it wants? I do, right? Chocolate would be one of them. Uh, and worse things, right? We need to teach our, we need to discipline our body to say no to its appetites. One of the best ways to do that is to practice fasting on a regular basis. Uh, frugality means uh, I live with less so that I can be more generous. I say no to the things I want to buy or I may think I need. Chastity, the idea of moral purity. Um, Sabbath rest, this is a huge one for me. Learning that my work doesn't really depend on me. That I do stuff, but it's God who will make it happen. And I can take a day and stop working, and the world doesn't end. And neither does the church or the foundation or all the other stuff I'm supposed to be in charge of, right? I can stop, and it all just keeps going on. Because God takes care of it, right? Um, Sacrifice secrecy. Uh, we don't mean necessarily uh, lying or keeping secrets. What we mean is um, not advertising publicly your good deeds. Right? This is a tough one for missionaries who kind of make our living by advertising our good deeds. Right? It's called a prayer letter. And it's, and it's not that we can't do that. Um, uh, but people like George Miller are good examples of this. A guy who, who determined that he was going to not tell people what he needed to prove that God would supply according to his promise, not according to good marketing techniques. It's a great discipline to practice. If we're having problems trusting God or if we're having problems with pride, Uh, do you find yourself wanting to take glory for everything? This would be a great discipline to practice, right? I'm not going to take glory for anything. I'm going to do this in secret so that only God knows. Right? Uh, another set of disciplines have to do with learning to say yes. Uh, some things we say no to. Some things we need to learn the discipline of saying yes. And this is more the area of positively following God's commands to love people. Right? We need to say yes to the, the activities of showing God's love and kindness to others, of being generous and, and, and uh, helping and serving. So these would be things like study, worship and celebration, service, prayer, fellowship, confession, submission. Uh, let me just take one, study. 
Uh, of course, that means study the Word of God. Uh, it does not mean a, a purely academic study of the Word, right? Where I'm going to learn Greek and I'm going to learn how to parse verbs and and uh, dissect Scripture. Uh, this discipline is really about learning to hear God's voice. Right? It means I read Scripture. Uh, not beating the air, right? I don't read scripture aimlessly. And that is true this for a lot of my life. I prayed and exercised scripture reading aimlessly for one simple reason, that I could check it off my list. Yep, did that for the day. Now me and God are good. Cause I, and, I, and I actually had no clue what I read, right? We, why do we read scripture? Right? Is it to, to, to prove to God that we are indeed a good Christian, right? Is that why you read the Bible? i got news for you. The only reason you are a good Christian is because Jesus died on the cross for you. Right? It has nothing to do with you reading the Bible. It has everything to do with his gift of grace. Why do you read the Bible? Well, it ought to be to hear God speak. Okay, God speaks most directly and clearly through his word. He speaks in other ways, but he certainly speaks through his word. And he has things he wants to tell you. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, God, God never talks to me. I said, God talks to you. You just got to learn how to listen, right? Trust me, God's talking to you. Open any page of scripture, start reading it. God's telling you things, right? You're not listening. Uh, study means learning to hear God's word through scripture, through good books, through um, godly men, through Bible teaching. But we do all this to hear God speak to us. Um, the truth is, in order to study well, we may need to develop the disciplines of solitude and silence. Because to hear God's voice, we've got to shut out those other voices and be still before him. Right? So these disciplines work together. Um, I don't have time to go over any more of the disciplines. I'll leave you to study that on your own. But let me, let me close with just a couple examples of what this could look like in your life. Well, they're actually examples of what it looks like in my life. You can take it from there. Um, I know that I need to guard my eyes, right? That I am to be careful about what I look at. Um, and that's, that's hard in a world where uh, the world likes to show many things that I should not look at, right? So the way this works in real life is that I can control a lot of it in my own life. So on my computer, I can put up, things that block certain websites, you know, and I can not read certain kinds of books and not look at certain kinds of magazines. And I can make choices about that, right? But the reality is that if I go out to the mall or I go to the beach or I go to the swimming pool, there's just a lot of naked people around, right? I don't know why they do that, but they do, right? And I'm supposed to guard my eyes. That's just really hard to do, right? And if I don't, if I'm not training myself, I'm not disciplining myself, with some skills, that's just not going to happen, right? I am going to be drawn to those things that my eyes are natural, my flesh is naturally drawn to, right? So how do I learn to guard my eyes? Well, um, I, I maybe practice things like fasting, right? Where I learn the discipline of controlling my body, of exercising discipline, that my body is not instantly gratified. Right? I need to find a discipline that I can start practicing to train in that right? so that I am, am learning to guard my eyes. Along with that, I need to take every thought captive because the truth is if you struggle with lust or fantasy or 
uh, a thought life that is impure, it's not just about your eyes. Because the truth is you could be blind and have uh, a crazy thought life, right? Well, uh, we need to learn to discipline that, right? Well, how do we do that? Well, for me, it was learning how to take every thought captive. And I did that through, as I said, through meditating on Scripture. I learned how to turn off and control this uh, waterfall of thoughts that was always going through my brain, right? And so I, I, I trained myself, right? Am I always successful? No. A lot of times I need to go back and train more, right? I need to go back to the gym and discipline myself and practice, right? Um, pride. Uh, I have been, uh, my whole life, this has been a hard thing for me because I am naturally proud, uh, and I, I was not born humble. Uh, and it's a bit ironic because I was, for a lot of my life, very insecure. And sometimes people confuse insecurity with humility. Because right? I wasn't bragging and boastful and out there uh, in an arrogant way. But I was very proud. Right? So I need to practice disciplines to practice humility. Well, one, one great discipline for me is... Uh, part of pr- pr- being proud is the sense that I'm always right. And this works great in a relationship like marriage, you know. It's just, it's, it just bonds us together when I'm always pointing out to these how she's wrong and I'm right. right? Just something very bonding about that. Like World War III, right? Well, a good discipline I need to learn is that uh, the discipline of not always being right, right? The discipline of keeping my mouth shut. The discipline of silence, Right? But sometimes it's better to just be quiet, right? When everything in, in, in me is screaming out to say, that's not right, right? I just need to learn the discipline of silence, saying, that's interesting. No, that, that gets me in trouble too. Don't say that. <laughs> uh, right? Do you, do you get the picture here, what we're talking about, right? God has given us an, a, a life of abiding in him. He has made everything possible so that we can do this. And it is the easy yoke. It is walking with Christ in a way that's easy as he teaches us and as he walks with us. But our part is this. Right? Our part is that we need to, and we're given the responsibility of bringing our body under control, of training and disciplining it so that we can respond in obedience uh, instinctively, spontaneously. And and as you practice this and as you are serious about the disciplines, I I promise you, it gets easier. Guaranteed. You You will get victory. But you will not get victory by not training. And there's this this false idea that, well, I'm a Christian and God did this work and I've got the Holy Spirit, so I shouldn't have to practice. It should just God should just zap me. Well, Jesus didn't do it this way. You see Jesus practicing disciplines, fasting, spending time in solitude, spending all night in prayer. God did not zap Jesus. Uh, The Apostle Paul uh, did not do it automatically apart from disciplines. He practiced these things in his life. I don't know about you, but if Jesus and the Apostle Paul needed to do this, we need to do this. We need to do this so that we can truly live a life that's fruitful and productive for God's glory and his kingdom. Let's pray.
And as we pray, just be thinking through things in your own life that you struggle with. Maybe it's bitterness or anger. Maybe it's your tongue that's constantly out of control. Uh, some kind of addiction. Uh, and I just encourage you to uh, ask God um, not how to be discouraged or defeated by it, but to say, God, how can I start practicing uh, and learning to develop skills of self-control to, to change that part of my life so that I can fulfill what you've asked us to, to uh, obey, to walk in your love by obeying what you've asked us to. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.